The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Eight, in which Matris celebrates the equinox. Hey, Damon, didn't your ma teach you to make your own bed? Cam spoke with his usual early morning cheerfulness. Damon, who was sitting on his unmade bed tying his boots, scowled at him. Estrella and Aneb, who had both made their beds and were preparing to head off to the kitchen for breakfast, stopped to watch the exchange. "'This place is crawling with women,' muttered Damon. "'Get one of them to do it.' "'He's never been to sea,' observed Aneb. "'You got that right,' said Cam. "'Well, we didn't walk here,' said Damon. "'Day trip round the bay,' Cam scoffed. "'Didn't see you in any knife fights. "'Didn't get lost below decks, neither.' "'He got lost when you two were aboard Elusive?' Estrella asked. "'Could have happened to any lubber with a long knife in his hand?' Damon scowled. A muffled knock interrupted the banter. Arneb opened the door to Sarah, who was holding a stack of shirts in both hands, which she passed to him. "'Good morning,' she said. "'I see you're tidying up and making your own beds. "'Good. "'Nobody should have to clean up after anyone else "'unless it's for very young children, "'or very briefly, a lover. "'I've brought you something to wear to the celebrations. "'How's your face, Arneb?' "'Mending nicely, thank you.' "'Celebration?' asked Damon. "'What for?' "'It's the equinox, the end of summer, "'our harvest festival.' "'Don't you have something like that?' "'At the castle that's what the learned call vulgar custom based on trivial superstition,' said Damon. "'And at the farm where I grew up my uncle never let anyone take time off work, especially around harvest.' "'How sad. Here we like a chance to sing, dance, eat special food.' "'Special food,' said Cam. "'Now you're talking. I've been helping Eileen with some of that.' Sarah smiled warmly at Cam. Then, looking as if she were restraining herself from patting him on the head, she turned and started back towards the home. Watching through the doorway, Astrea saw her white hair catch the morning light, her long skirt rippling as she walked. "'She must have been listening,' said Damon, as he began to make his bed somewhat inexpertly. "'Here, you're doing it all wrong,' said Cam. "'Here, let me show you.' Astrea watched the two of them and as he did so he wanted to thank them for the way they had accepted him, but he did not know how to begin. He was acutely aware that they were caught up in the changes that he had unwittingly put into motion. "'Ain't Sarah the friendly one?' said Cam, as he ordered Damon's blankets with a few skilful tugs. "'She is,' said Arneb. "'Don't expect it from all of them.' "'Janice?' asked Estrella. "'Exactly,' said Arneb. What's she planning, I wonder? She wants to run people's lives, said Estrella. She doesn't like independent people. People like Lindy, for instance, said Cam. That Janice really hates her. The way she accused Lindy of being selfish, said Damon. That's just not right. Lindy's tough, but she's anything but selfish. Like Sarah, said Arnep. "'She's Lindy's grandmother, all right,' said Damon, "'and she comes in here like she's in charge, "'brings us shirts, tells us what to do. "'But I don't understand why she didn't back Lindy up, "'stand up with her.' 
"'It's coming apart,' said Estrella. "'How so?' asked Cam. "'Sarah's the oldest, the one everyone respects. "'She's made Mattress what it is, or maybe what it was. "'But she can't do everything, and so Janice sort of oozes into the cracks. "'She gets things done, and Sarah needs her to do that, but Janice is taking over. "'She's just looking for a chance to rule.' which is exactly what Sarah doesn't do. Estrella saw that three pairs of eyes were staring at him. "'You sound very sure,' said Arneb. Estrella took a breath to explain, and it came to him that it seemed so obvious because of what he had seen between Oron and Adramin aboard Cygnus. Cam saved him from attempting a lengthy explanation. "'Too right. Seen it myself with Roaring Jack.' difference with him is he's losing it, and he don't know why. Sarah, she's wise. She understands what's happening, but she can't stop it, because she don't give orders. It's not her style. She's a hinter and a nudger. Besides, if she ever comes right out and faces Janice down, then she's just shown that she's old and don't understand. Trouble is, if she don't let on, it happens anyway." Aneb looked from Astraea to Cam and back again, eyebrows raised. "'You two don't miss much,' he said. "'And what about me?' asked Damon. "'You're the man who gets it done,' said Aneb, unexpectedly putting an arm around Damon's shoulders. "'And what needs doing now is breakfast.' Astraea, Arneb, and Damon ate their meal, all three of them aware that they were being watched by the women and girls sitting at tables as far as possible away from them. The day before there had been many more, most of them giggling and smiling shyly in their direction. Now the glances were suspicious, and the whispering was furtive and apprehensive. Somehow Cam was still above suspicion. He served the tables swiftly and efficiently, exchanged pleasantries, received smiles and nods of thanks. "'How does he do that?' asked Damon. "'I can't get near her, and there he is, chatting away like he's been here all his life.' Cam was bent over to clear away Bronwyn's plate, her astonishingly symmetrical face tipped towards him. Much to Damon's annoyance, she was favouring him with the full effect of her dark blue eyes. Then, as Cam turned to go, his hands full of dishes, he looked over Bronwyn's head at the three men, winked so vigorously that he lifted one side of his mouth, and silently mouthed, "'Violets!' Damon scowled, and the uninjured side of Arneb's face twitched. "'Arneb, I'm going to be busy with the girls this morning, so will you go with Damon and Estrella to help Justin bring in firewood?' All three turned towards Sarah, who walked towards them between two girls, one holding her hand, the other a fold of her skirt. For a moment Estrella was puzzled, the girls were as closely attached to Sarah as if they'd been toddlers, but they were both at least eight or ten years old. One stared at him wide-eyed, the other cringed towards Sarah's side, one hand straying towards her mouth as if she were about to suck her thumb. He recalled the twins talking about Sarah's girls. "'Of course,' said Arneb, politely getting to his feet. "'Thank you. Tonight is the equinox, and besides, we like to be well prepared for the winter.' Come, girls. Work safely, Damon and Estrella. Arneb, perhaps you can get Lindy to let you drive. You can handle horses, can't you? Provided they know their business. These ones do. Don't work too hard during the day, or you won't be able to enjoy your evening. 
She turned her head, and her blue-gray eyes locked onto Estrella. Go carefully, Estrella. Things happen around you, and you're not the only one who's affected. Without giving them a chance to reply, Sarah walked towards the kitchen door, the two girls close to her. We've been warned, said Estrella, and you, Arneb, have been put in charge of us. We'll try to be good, said Damon with a wry grin. The day followed much the same pattern as before, except that Estrella and Damon were now the object of all the boys' admiration. Even Max had traded his dark glances and belligerent attitude for curiosity. When they stopped for their midday meal, Max looked at Damon with something close to hero-worship, and started asking him about where he came from, how long he had known Estrella, where he had learned to fight, who had sold him his knife, and finally the question that drew everyone's attention. "'Tell me, Damon, what does it feel like to kill a man?' Munching on apples ceased, mugs of water stopped halfway to mouths. There was a long and awkward pause, during which Damon tugged at his moustache. "'You don't want to find out,' he said. "'That's not a question you ask anyone,' Justin admonished. "'There's more to be done before the wagon comes back.' Max finished his meal in an embarrassed silence. Estrella studied Damon's face as they all put away the remains of luncheon and went back to work. He'd not heard any remorse or guilt in Damon's voice, but there was no mistaking the change in his attitude. The Damon who had been so eager to teach him knife-fighting had changed. He no longer boasted, preened, or took the pose of an experienced duelist, as he had at the castle. But he had not denied that he had taken a man's life. They went back to work in silence, Estrella remembering Damon's question about his fight with Mufred. Why didn't you finish him off? He still could not find an answer that did not make him feel that he was a coward, but at the same time he felt a deep revulsion to killing anyone. Estrella saw Damon easing his shirt-sleeves away from his forearms. "'How are your arms?' he asked. "'All right, I guess. Smart a bit when I move too quickly.' "'You shouldn't have to do so much.' Damon shrugged. His tone of voice changed as he revisited the moment that had affected him even more than his instant reaction that had ended a man's life. "'He was just playing with me, Estrella. He opened the skin. When he could have cut so that I would have bled to death.' or maybe never use my hands again. Estrella saw that Damon needed to revisit his experience and tried to help him continue. I wonder why he held back. Secretly, Estrella thought he knew the answer. Mufred believed that a stone went dark if its wearer died. He thought I had a stone, said Damon, the stone you gave to Lindy, I suppose. A wave of relief flowed over Estrella. As long as Mufred, and now Adramin, thought that the stone had to be on a man's arm, Lindy was safe. As he went back to work cutting and limbing trees, he counted the people whom he had affected. Alana, Jan, Gar, Horon, Miesa, John and Mufred. They were all dead. Damon and Arneb, injured. Cam, estranged from the village. Lindy, returned home only to find it changed for the worse he came to the gloomy conclusion that Roaring Jack and Sarah had both seen the truth. Bad fortune struck those around him, leaving him unscathed. Estrella resolved to protect Lindy, even if it meant leaving her. 
He concentrated on working in an effort to avoid thinking any further. The afternoon wore on until sunlight no longer dappled the ground around the wood-cutting party. As the sunlight gilded the tops of the trees, they heard the steady clop of the big horse's hooves over the sound of their chopping, and soon they set about loading the cart for the final trip. Mastrea paused after heaving the last log onto the back of the cart, and let his eyes linger on Lindy as she stood holding the horse's heads. His concentration narrowed until he saw nothing but her blonde hair brushing her neck and shoulders, wishing there was some way that he could return to the time when they had been close. He did not notice that Arneb was watching him. "'Well, then, lad, don't let her get away.' "'She doesn't want someone who—' Astrea's voice tailed off, but as Arneb kept looking at him, he fumbled on, not sure of what he was going to say. "'Lindy thinks that I—' "'I think what?' asked Lindy, as she came back to see if the load was complete. "'You think that I was a coward not to finish off a kill Mufrid?' The words were out before he thought. "'Don't you dare tell me what I think, Astrea. Ask me.' "'Well, do you?' "'Of course not. I was there, and I didn't make it right. I could have killed him. He murdered people.' Yan, John, all those people from Spindrift. Who made you the executioner? Nobody, but it wasn't fair. Did you make Mufrid's crimes happen? No, but— They looked down, both of them embarrassed that they had spoken so sharply. This isn't doing any good, Astrea thought, and turned away to avoid Lindy's eyes. She put her hand on his cheek— turned his head towards her, and spoke slowly and deliberately. Estrella, we're all responsible for what we do, but just because you can look back later and see distant connections spiralling back to you, it doesn't mean that you're to blame. She held his gaze for a moment and then looked away. Estrella wondered how it was that she could speak with such certainty. Then why have you been so distant? he asked. Me? Astrea, it's you who's been so far away that you haven't even noticed how much we've been worrying about you. We? Arneb, Cam, Damon, Cat, Sarah, and me, when I wasn't disgracing myself, that is. You? Disgrace? Don't you mean me? Astrea, you've been busy, or not where I was, or asleep and not coming back out of whatever you drank to stay awake on the ship, so you haven't seen. I keep on losing my temper. At Janice, mostly. But at you as well. And Bronwyn. And even at Grandmother. I thought, I mean, I thought I was the one. Just listen to me for a moment, Estrella. I'm sorry for what I've done, and not done, to you. Estrella stared at her, dumbfounded. I should have told you more about Matris. The others, too. The trouble is that what I would have told you would have been all wrong. Mattress has changed. For the worse. We've all changed, said Estrella. I'm not the same as I was before Adramin kidnapped me. I was afraid of that. But it's all right, I understand. Don't feel you have to apologize that it's over for you. Over for me? That you, that we... Lindy lost her usual confidence and fell silent. 
I thought coming to Matris was just going to help you and Damon. And you, Estrella. Arneb had been watching the two of them as if following a game of catch. She's right, Estrella, said Arneb. Why don't the two of you walk back together? The horses think I'm in charge. Justin has the boys. And look who's coming up the hill. Estrella and Lindy looked down the road and saw Bronwyn walking towards them. Instantly all of the men and boys focused on her slim, graceful figure. I really don't know how she does that, said Lindy. Estrella heard wry amusement in her voice. Grateful for having their difficult conversation interrupted, he watched as Damon started towards Bronwyn, a swagger in his step. He met her a little way from the cart, where they stopped facing each other, but only glancing at each other's faces. Estrella watched their postures subtly changing as they talked quietly. "'It's like watching a slow dance,' he said. "'He sways forward, she sways back. She moves right, he goes left. Back and forth they go, always keeping their distance.' So, said Lindy thoughtfully, it's not only Cam who's immune. When you first saw her, I thought you were gone with the rest of them. But you were just sketching her in your head, weren't you? How do you know? I know that look you have. Gar knew it, too. I saw it the day we met, when you drew that picture of Eva. She thought she had you wrapped round her baby finger. So did Bronwyn at first. They were both wrong. Estrella stared at her. I see she's attractive and all that. <laughs> Lindy chuckled. <laughs> but you don't go all slack-jawed and googly-eyed with it. Your brain is still functioning. For the rest of them, it's a toss-up whether they start pawing the ground and snorting, or just stand and stare with their tongues hanging out. Estrella looked around and saw that she was right. Max hunched his shoulders and frowned, and even Arneb's and Justin's eyes kept on coming back to look at Bronwyn. Only the younger boys were wide-eyed and uncomprehending. "'Max isn't happy,' he said, half to himself. "'Or is it about you? He had some hard things to say when we met.' "'I haven't been entirely honest with you, Estrella. I didn't want to talk about it. Max, I mean.' Estrella felt as if he'd been hit below his ribs. It was all he could do not to double over. "'No, no, 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 Estrella. It's got nothing to do with you.' You know I told you why I had to leave Matris. Too close, relations, cousins, need for new blood, said Estrella dejectedly. It was more personal than that. I had to get away from Max. Why? The word was out of Estrella's mouth before he thought. Lindy lowered her head and her brow furrowed. She spoke with difficulty through tightly compressed lips. Max tried... Max wanted to... Estrella, the first person I ever hit and really meant to hurt was my cousin Max. It was as if he'd never understood a thing about the history of Mattress. He wanted to own me, Estrella. He thought he already did. Why, why didn't you say so? Surely Sarah, or, or even Janice. Janice would never have believed me. I couldn't talk to Grandmother, but I don't know why. But I couldn't. So I left, solved the problem, ran away from it. Estrella wanted to yell with fury at Max, with rage at Janice, 
and with relief that Lindy was not tied to Max. It's a good thing I didn't know that earlier. I might have... Please don't. He seems to be better now. And he doesn't need to be punished any more. When I hit him, I, I really did hit him. It hurt him. Where? Uh, you, you know. Oh, said Estrella with mild satisfaction. Estrella, how do you feel about... about what I said? Relieved. Pleased. I thought from what Max said that maybe the two of you had something that would be like a bond, uh, a yearning, you know. A hopeless love that could never be, she said, one eyebrow raised. Well, um, if you put it that way, it does sound a bit silly. But if Max loves you, Max doesn't know how to love, she said bitterly. He's got love confused with power, and now he's being possessive about Bronwyn, just exactly the opposite of what Mattress is all about. You know what? I wish I'd seen him try to fight you and Damon. I don't want to fight him, Lindy. You don't have to. Why didn't I tell you about this all long ago? Goodness, I feel so much better. Look at them, Estrella. You could draw them, and it would be very funny, like the drawing you made for Gar of a learned in his skin. Estrella smiled at the shared memory. He felt his shoulders drop and the muscles of his neck relax as he let go of the tension that had gripped him for months, since Adramon had marched into the room at the Black Sheep and set in motion all that had followed. And yet there was another kind of tension, the same delicious expectation that had balanced him on a knife-edge of awareness when he and Lindy had travelled from the castle to Charton. "'Lately I've been missing quite a lot that's been going on around me,' he said. She nodded, and before he could speak gave his shoulder a little shove. "'For instance, you haven't noticed that everyone is walking except us. Come on, Estrella, we have to get back, wash, change, and get ready for the equinox. Food, dancing, having fun. You'll enjoy it.' Estrella felt her fingers touch his, and suddenly he was sharply alert to everything around him, the round ends of the logs in the swaying cart, the sound of the horses as they plodded down the shadowed road, the light on the treetops above, the clouds turning pink with late afternoon light, and most of all, Lindy, beside him, her hand in his, matching his stride. Although the sky was still palely lit in the west, the tall windows ahead of them were yellow with lamp and candlelight, as Estrella, Damon, and Arneb left the guest cottage and walked towards the home. "'Now that you're washed, and wearing the clean shirts that Sarah so kindly provided, be on your best behaviour. Feast and dance. Walk away from arguments. Offend no one.' "'Estrella and I didn't start it,' Damon began. "'No excuses, Damon. Don't let it happen again.' Estrella heard Damon muttering, but could not make out what he said. And Damon, Arnib added, in Matris, women asked men to dance. Several short, sharp words came from Damon. What's that? Just accustoming myself to a different cultural tradition, uh, the ancient philosophic approach, you know. 
Estrella chuckled to himself, glad that his face was shadowed by the deepening dusk. When they entered the great hall of the home, they scarcely recognized the place to which they had been taken when they first arrived at Matris. The room was swirling with color, light, and sound. Remembering Gar's advice and Arneb's warning, Estrella avoided staring at women and girls who had dressed to look their best. Damon was less successful. His appreciative stare earned him a nudge in the ribs and a frown from Arneb. Estrella noticed several men he had not seen before, their heads and shoulders standing higher than the women and girls. In one corner, two young women, wearing long green dresses, had just tucked fiddles under their chins and were starting a dance that already had toes tapping and heads bobbing. Behind them, another younger girl rattled the rhythm on a large open drum that she held with one hand and struck with both ends of a short stick. Estrella looked at the three, appreciating them as a tableau to be sketched, until it occurred to him that the picture would be incomplete without the music that they were making. Damon touched his arm. Bronwyn's over there, in blue. Steady, Damon, said Arneb. Let's join Justin and the boys. They edged their way around some of the younger girls who were already dancing at the back of the hall. Ignoring the glances directed at them, they made their way to the corner where Justin presided over his charges, all of whom wore clean, soft-coloured shirts and dark brown breeks, and who were looking around eagerly. Justin nodded a greeting, and made room for them where they could watch the dancers. Estrella saw that there were more women than men in the room, but there were also couples dancing to the music, who were unlike any of the people he had seen in and around the home. First of all, they were paired male and female, in the way that Estrella was accustomed to in the village, and which he was seeing for the first time in Mattress. They were also much more varied in physical appearance, dress, and behavior than the many blonde women he had seen so far. Instead of the long dresses that fell from shoulder to ankle, lightly belted at the waist, as were favored by the women in the home, the people he had not seen before were dressed more like the women at Teenmouth. They wore smocked blouses and vividly colored skirts that flared when they twirled and spun, as they often did, one hand high for their partner to hold and turn them. The men wore embroidered shirts tucked into dark, tight-fitting breeks, making them foils for their bright partners. All of them varied in color and physical shape from each other, as much as and more than the differences among the people Estrella had seen during his journeys. As he watched, a rotund woman danced past him, red curls framing her plump cheeks, holding both hands of a man with a dark bearded face, topped with tightly curled brown hair graying at the temples. Then came a tall, lean, older couple, no less enthusiastic for the fact that the woman's dark hair was streaked with white, and his had receded to tufts above his ears. When they disappeared back into the crowd, Estrella watched a younger pair, the woman's straight brown hair flaring out from her head as the firm, compact body twirled below the hand of a tall, lean-faced man, who smiled down on her from his long-limbed height. Around the edges of the vigorously dancing couples stood the women of Matris. The younger ones moved to the music as if they were trying not to. Here and there two women danced together, holding both hands, and moving at half-time to the music's beat, to which the male and female couples were moving so enthusiastically. Estrella spoke into Arneb's ears if he could hear above the music. Who are the other ones? They're from the outlying farms. 
they're not part of Matris. The selling, bartering, and exchange between them and the women of Matris, but nothing more. Why, for goodness sake, I'd have thought that all the young Matris women would be looking for— The young men who aren't here. Just about all the young men from the farms were also part of the snatch. No sons of your age. Accounts for the interest in the two, mm, three. He indicated Cam, who appeared momentarily in the doorway bearing a tray of food. Besides your charm and good looks, he added, the scarless side of his mouth twitching. Damon, who had been listening to the exchange while watching Bronwyn's every move, preened his moustache. The music and dancing stopped, replaced by a sound of shuffling and talk. Estrella tried to appear nonchalant as he scanned the crowd, but his fascination with what he saw suddenly evaporated, and he felt entirely out of place. Arneb's words hung in his mind, and he felt acutely embarrassed that he was being looked over and evaluated. This was not just the familiar sense of being a stranger— it held a foreboding that something was about to go wrong. He considered slipping out the door, but too many people stood in his way, one of them Max, who was looking suspiciously at Damon. As the fiddlers lifted their instruments and tuned them afresh, Cat appeared and took Arneb's hand. Her dark hair gleamed above a green dress that showed considerably more shoulder than any of the other Matris women. Their contrasting heights making them conspicuous, the two made their way among the dancers. Then Astraea saw Damon take an eager step forward as Bronwyn extended her hand towards him. He watched Damon strutting beside her smooth, graceful walk, and settled himself to observe, both out of curiosity and as a strategy against his growing apprehensiveness. He did not notice who was pushing her way towards him. "'Come dance, Astraea,' said Lindy. The sound, movement, and colour of the room full of people dimmed for Estrella, and all of his concentration focused on Lindy's eyes. She tipped her head slightly to one side, and Estrella felt himself lurch forward towards her. She took his hand, turned, and led him among the dancers. He had the strange feeling of being in a dream, anchored to reality only by the certainty of her hand in his. Then everything around him slowed, and he had all the time in the world to appreciate the way her hair swayed away from her face with each step she took, and to notice that unlike the other women of Matris she wore a full, calf-length skirt made by stitching together diamond-shaped patches of many colours, and a smocked blouse whose effect on him was decidedly unlike that of the loose shirts he had seen her wear at the castle and on their travels. When she turned towards him in readiness for the dance, it was all he could do to stop himself from taking her in his arms. In a delicious state of anticipation he waited for the music to start. The drummer began a rhythm that his feet recognized, the fiddlers struck up a tune that was almost familiar, and Estrella found that he had time not only to concentrate on Lindy, but also to notice what the couple opposite him was doing, and to copy it. The movements were familiar, curtsy and bow, arm in arm walk, left and right hand to hand chain, rush two-handed to the centre and back, close-linked walking hip to hip, making the arch of hands and arms under which the couples ducked, turned, and held for the next, and repeatedly swinging together first one-handed, then two, and then elbows hooked. Only the order was unfamiliar, and for that 
the lead couple provided the necessary cues. When the first dance was over, they moved to the next, almost without a break, and then the next, and the next. Estrella had enjoyed the dance at Teenmouth as part of an adventure that was leading him he knew not where. This was not the same. There was more at stake than the elation of music and movement. Before, he had swung and twirled with girls, almost all of whose faces were lost to memory the moment he moved to the next. This time, he was aware of the personalities behind the faces. For three quarters of the time, the figures of the dance meant that he bowed and swung with Bronwyn, Cat, and the dark-complexioned farm-wife, twice his own age, who was half of the lead couple. Each time the dance brought them together, they acknowledged each other with a smile before moving on. But when he faced Lindy and looked into her eyes, he wanted to hold on to her forever, and only the patterns of the dance persuaded him to let her go. Every meeting was a gift, each parting a small sorrow, only made acceptable by the knowledge that the music would bring them together again. When the music stopped, the dancers clapped and smiled at each other, sharing the moment when dancing ends, but ordinary life has not yet resumed. When the music did not start again, the pairs of dancers became groups, the women of mattress separating themselves from the brightly dressed people from the farms. Estrella and Lindy stood alone together, looking into each other's eyes for a moment out of time. A small, high voice cut through the buzz of conversation. Sarah says it's time for us to do our song for you. Please don't go away. Estrella and Lindy came out of their mutual trance, noticed that they stood alone in the middle of the floor, moved back among the crowd, and looked at two children standing next to the fiddlers. Sarah stood straight-backed, smiling down on the pair, one of whom wore a dress that clearly had been made for someone older than her seven or eight years. The other, who was clothed rather unconvincingly as a boy, looked at her partner and very formally took her hand. Behind them, Sarah nodded to one of the fiddlers, who provided a muted first note. A little unsure at first, but gaining in enthusiasm as she became involved in her role, the girl playing the boy dropped to one knee and sang plaintively to his partner. I will give you the keys of heaven, I will give you the keys of heaven, Dearest will you walk, dearest will you talk, Dearest will you walk and talk with me. The girl sang her reply with a firm conviction softened by a smile. Though you give me the keys of heaven, Though you give me the keys of heaven, Yet I will not walk. No, I will not talk. No, I will not walk or talk with you. A murmur of appreciation from the audience made them look up briefly, hesitate, and then return to their roles in the song with increased conviction. I will give you a cloth of silk to flow o'er your body as white as milk. Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? Dearest, will you walk and talk with me? Though you give me cloth of silk to flow o'er my body as white as milk, yet I will not walk, no, I will not talk, no, I will not walk or talk with thee. I will give you a horse and cow if you will come away with me now. Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? 
Dearest, will you walk and talk with me? Though you give me a horse and cow, I'll not come and live with you now. Yet I will not walk, no, I will not talk, no, I will not walk or talk with thee. I will give you the keys of my heart, and you'll be mine till death do us part. Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? Dearest, will you walk and talk with me? Though you give me the keys of your heart, I'll not be yours till death do us part. Yet I will not walk, no, I will not talk, no, I will not walk or talk with thee. What if I ask you to share your life together as equals, my partner, not wife? Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? Dearest, will you walk and talk with me? If you should ask me to share my life together as equals your partner, not wife, maybe I will walk, maybe I will talk, maybe I will walk and talk with thee. What if I swear that I'll always be true, to love no one other, to keep faith with you? Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? Dearest, will you walk and talk with if you indeed will always be true and love no one other, I'll keep faith with you, then maybe I will walk, then only I will talk, then maybe I will walk and talk with you. The girl playing the man, let go of the girl's hand, stood up and put her hands on her hips, sang the next stanza in tones of exasperation, and turned as if to go. What more do you want? What else can I do? To show you my love is only for you. Dearest, will you walk? Dearest, will you talk? Oh, dearest, should I walk away from you? The girl put a restraining hand on the boy's shoulder and sang her stanza while he frowned at the audience. We'll live together and gladly rejoice, so long as children are by my choice. Then gladly will I walk, then only will I talk, then gladly will I walk and talk with you. The girl playing the boy turned, they held both hands and sang together. We'll live together and gladly rejoice, so long as children are by her choice. Then gladly I will walk. Gladly I will talk, then gladly I will walk, and talk with you. They bowed together to enthusiastic clapping from the audience, looked up at Sarah for approval, and when she smiled at them, bowed again and ran off out of the hall giggling. Lindy looked at Estrella and raised one eyebrow. That was like a song we, they, sing at the village, but it ends differently. This is the mattress version, said Bronwyn behind him. Astraea and Lindy saw her look up at Damon in an echo of how the two children had stood to sing. And where the children had been too young to be aware of the implications of what they'd sung, Bronwyn seemed to be demanding the reply she wanted from Damon, who had a finger on his lips, as if to keep himself from speaking. Janice just came in, said Lindy. Ah, and that means that she'll make people do those stupid dances she likes, said Cat. 
We all have to line up and do exactly the same as the leader, who, you'll not be surprised to learn, is Janice. Arneb chuckled as he looked down at her. No touching. How did you know? Educated guess. As they laughed together, Estrella looked fixedly at Cat. What is it, Estrella? Lindy asked. You're staring. I had an inkling of this before, he said, when I woke up and saw her looking down at me. I thought I was dreaming and forgot about it. Now I'm sure. What are you talking about? Lindy, did you ever see Gar's sketch of a woman with long, dark hair? It was, um, personal and intimate, as if it had been drawn looking up at her. Lindy glanced at Cat, and then stepped closer to Estrella to whisper, do you think? Estrella nodded. Is it possible? Estrella shrugged slightly. She came to Mattress when I was little. I must have been two or three. It was before the Snatch. Estrella? She lost her son in the Snatch. Could it have been Gaz? Estrella asked. It's not like him to love and leave. I mean, there were times like with the widow Amy, but I can't imagine him making a baby and then skiving off. Neither can I. There had to be some reason. I don't know. He certainly never said anything to me. My cheeks are burning, said Cat. What are you two whispering about? Who's the man with Janice? Damon interrupted. It's Needle Nick, said Lindy. I know who he is, said Arneb. There was an edge in Arneb's voice that cut through Lindy's and Estrella's speculations about Cat and Gar. They looked across the hall at Janice, who was leading a thin, elderly man holding a big-brimmed hat towards the tables loaded with food. The man turned, scanned the hall, and paused when he caught sight of Arneb. Then his eyes met Estrella's. He dropped his hat, picked it up, hesitated, and took a long stride to catch up with Janice. He knows who I am, said Estrella. Well, actually, he knows who I'm not. This could be awkward. Why? Cat asked. He's harmless. He comes past here every year or so, sells us needles. We feed him and his horse for a few days, and he wanders off again. You forgot something, Cat, said Lindy. He talks. He gossips. He tells stories of the places he's been. Where did he see you, Estrella? At Teenmouth, on the road. I'd been making Jeb's fence. He asked me the way. And then he spread a story about me being from the ship that had raided another village not far from Teenmouth. He saw me at Charton, said Arneb. And now he's deep in a conversation with Janice, said Lindy. If she's involved, it's not going to be good. Hush, she's going to. Women of Martris, said Janice in a voice pitched to cut through the conversation. Look who's here. Nicholas must have smelled the feast that Eileen and her helpers have been preparing all day. Needle Nick waved his hat. Huge, uneven teeth gaped as he grinned at Janice's heavy-handed humor. So, without further ado, let us all proceed to the tables and indulge. Uh, it looks as if we don't have anything to worry about, after all, said Damon. You don't, Damon, Bronwyn whispered. 
Whether or not she had intended it, Lindy and Estrella both heard her. Lindy's eyebrow rose, and Estrella frowned. Her lips moved ever so slightly, and he was sure she had said, She's up to something. Come on, I'm going to miss out on some right fine eats. Cam appeared through the people moving towards the tables, and beckoned before turning back. Cat reached up to pluck Arneb's sleeve, and Estrella saw the uninjured side of Arneb's mouth twitch upward as he followed Cat, looking down on her smooth black hair. Never pass on food, said Arneb. Laying one hand possessively on Damon's arm, Bronwyn led him to a place in the queue that was forming at one end of the tables. Estrella and Lindy stood a little longer, each conscious of the other's concern. Lindy? I'm glad to see you're back in time to put down this year's cider, said a matronly woman, wearing a multicoloured skirt and smocked blouse. Arm in arm with a heavy-set man, she paused on their way to the tables. And I like the way you're dressed. The way we do. She took a long look at Estrella and put her head on one side. This your lad, Lindy? We're just... It's all right, Lindy, she said with a huge wink. You don't have to explain. Come on, Tom. Lindy's cheeks and neck turned an appealing colour that Estrella knew he would never be able to duplicate with paint. Embarrassed, and at the same time fiercely proud, he stood just a little taller. As they joined the queue, he took her hand and held it, ignoring the glances that were directed at both of them. When their turn came to pick up plates and choose from the array of dishes, Cam was on the other side of the tables. You gotta have some of this here duck pie, he instructed. Made it myself. We're a bit of advice from Eileen, of course. Now, with that, you need some of this pickle stuff, and then... Estrella and Lindy glanced at each other, smiled, and let Cam load their plates. Lindy nudged Estrella's arm, and he followed her eyes toward Bronwyn, who was popping a morsel of food into Damon's mouth as he gazed at her, enchanted. The trick to putting a ring in a bull's nose is to distract him with food and then move swiftly before he knows what's happening, said Lindy. Cam's guffaw made several people stare at the three of them before returning to food and conversation. Estrella, who'd been surprised by Lindy's candor, tried to keep his face expressionless. Her lips moved, and he read the swift words on her lips as, Let's go outside. They were not the only people who had taken their food and drink out of the hall, but in the shadows between the light-filled windows they found privacy from curious stares. There was also the cool night air, which held the promise of autumn in the occasional puff from the hills where they had been harvesting the winter's wood. Estrella and Lindy sat on a bench against the wall of the home, ate the food that Cam had piled on their plates, and speculated about whether Cat's lost son was also Gar's. As you know, Gar was no monk, said Lindy, and apart from sketches and the occasional picture he did for a husband who wanted his wife's likeness, he didn't often paint people, certainly not to keep. This one was private. It could even have been done from memory, a memory of a very special moment. I saw it, but only at a glance. Gar was shuffling through one of his boxes, pulling out one after another, looking for a board he could reuse. I only got a glimpse of dark hair falling slantwise across a shadowed face. He let me look, said Estrella. He said it was unfinished. Then he said, 
never interrupt your work, whatever she says. That sounds almost bitter, said Lindy. It wasn't, said Estrella. He was blaming himself, I think, because he also said, I should have gone back. When he said it, I was looking at the eyes and the strange angle to the hair. At first I couldn't quite resolve the directions in my mind. Then I worked it out. He was looking up at her as she bent over him, with her long hair falling towards him. Cat's hair's short, and it's been so for more than a dozen years. But her eyes and chin and mouth wouldn't change very much. She's young-looking, and it's not just her quick movements. Why didn't I recognize that the picture was Cat? I knew her for much longer than you. Yes, but you're always looking down at Cat, aren't you? I mean, she's so tiny that when she looks up at you, she tips her head on one side, so that you see her forehead, cheeks, and nose much more than her mouth, eyes, and chin. The picture was just the reverse. Her chin, lips, and eyes are what I noticed first, the way I did when she bent over me in the night, holding a candle low so it wouldn't get in my eyes. Hmm, the painter's eye, Lindy quoted. You have it, Estrella. I'll never be as good as Gar. He thought you were better than him. All he needs is a few tricks and techniques. That's what he said about you. When? When you were up there on the scaffold painting learneds and tavern girls and students and so on. He was watching you and muttering. I could only just hear him. Estrella fell silent. That was such a good time. And then it was one death after another. They both looked up from reminiscing about Gar to see Sarah standing in the light from the window beside them. They stood up in surprise. Lindy, if you don't mind, I need to talk to Estrella alone. Yes, Grandmother, said Lindy. Estrella wanted to ask her to stay, but she was gone before he could protest. He stared at Sarah, seeing her almost as if for the first time. She was old, but not like Oron whose face had been carved by time, weather, and grim self-isolation. The years had marked Sarah more kindly. There was sorrow behind her eyes, but the habit of laughter softened her mouth. She stood tall, even though Estrella guessed from the way that she held her hands clasped tightly in front of her that to do so caused her pain. Please listen carefully. We may not have much time. He inclined his head respectfully, as he had been taught at the village, and she acknowledged with a small sideways nod. I have been thinking about you, Estrella, and by listening to your friends, finding out about you. You never knew your father, and you have lost family and friends almost as soon as you discovered them. Estrella felt that she was invading the privacy of his mind. Who, who told you this? he demanded. You told us. Cat and I took turns at your bedside and Lindy, Cam, and Damon helped us understand. Why? Concern, Estrella, affection, friendship, love. These are people who care about you. You have been looking for a father so persistently that you've not noticed that you've been going strongly friended. They've stood by you, come here with you, and are still around you. None of them is simple or easily led. None of them is profligate with his emotions, save perhaps Damon's susceptibility to anything in a skirt. 
Why? Why? Why am I telling you all this? Because I would not have you blinded by grief and betrayal. And because Lindy is my granddaughter. And because of what your arrival here at Matris has made me realize. I've been letting things slide. It's just that it takes so much time and effort to get people to think for themselves. It's easier just to tell them what to do, the way Janice does. And now she's decided to protect everyone from... You don't understand, Estrella interrupted. I've been the cause of so much going wrong. So many people are dead because of me. And now I've brought my bad luck to Matris. Nonsense, Estrella. Decide on what you think is right, not because of how people may respond. This is not all about you. Don't take so much on yourself, just because you— Grandmother! Lindy ran into the light beside Sarah, her blonde hair loose on her shoulders, and her brightly coloured skirt a shake. Janice has called a gathering. <sighs> the next thing always arrives too soon. There's so much more I want to say to both of you. Still, I can't think of two people better able to work it out for yourselves. Well, come on, then, she said, her hands beckoning the two of them. We have to face whatever comes. Her white hair caught the light as she raised her chin and walked towards the door of the home. Estrella and Lindy followed. She looked a question at him, and when he could not reply, her lips framed a single word that he could not interpret. When they were about to enter the hall, the first thing Estrella saw was an expanse of bare floor. Then, when Sarah led the way inside so that they stood with their backs to the open door, he saw that people were huddled in tight groups close to the walls. The exception was Janice, who had claimed the centre of attention. She paused in whatever she'd been saying and looked at Sarah with satisfaction. "'Ah, Sarah, there you are. Come in. I am very sorry to inform you that Nicholas has brought with him some distressing news that concerns us all. The strangers, for whom Lindy invoked the sanctuary of Matris, are not the injured innocents that she made them out to be. In fact, they are men of the sea, men from the same ships that are responsible for rape, murder, and abduction from Matris not so many years ago. The presence of these two men, Astrea and Arneb, is a painful insult to women of Matris who still mourn the loss of their children. Janice, are you implying that these men are guilty of Sarah began, but Janice talked her down. For them to be here is bad enough, but there is worse. The younger one is a spy. Nicholas saw him on the road from a village in the north that had been pillaged by one of the great ships that attacked Matris. And that isn't all. This spying villain stole a huge sum of money from a village called Teenmouth, and then abducted an innocent girl who he took with him to the castle, which, as you know, is a place of learning where the healing arts are taught. There he burned down the learned's priceless library. But there is even more, much more. Sarah, it grieves me to say this, but the worst news affects you personally. I wish there had been the opportunity for me to tell you privately— but I fear that time is running out for the decisions that are necessary if we are to continue to be safe in our beds. More allegations, Janice, said Sarah. 
the point of our laws is to avoid malicious— The point is, Sarah, that you have been duped by your grandchild, Lindy. Perhaps it was your well-known kindness and affection for all the members of your family that blinded you to the root cause of her headstrong and self-centred departure more than a year ago. At the time, many of us wondered how she could have deceived you so easily. Now we know. Not content with troublemaking in Matris, she went off seeking evil amongst lawless men. She allied herself with this spy, this man of the sea, this black-haired stranger who stands beside her at this very moment. She was seen at the fire, where she fought with the scholars who tried to put it out. She followed the arsonist to Charton, where she worked, if you can believe it, in a common tavern, while he went back aboard one of the great ships. When he and his ship returned to Charton, she allied herself with the man of the sea who calls himself Arneb, and whose boat is at this moment at our landing, and now, with one of the very ships that stole our children waiting in Charton, she brought them here, where she has not ceased to prevaricate about her purposes. I hate to say this, Sarah, but your granddaughter Lindy is a traitor to Mattress. A collective gasp of astonishment was followed by a buzz of comment on all sides. Estrella felt a hand on his shoulder. "'Time for us to be going,' said Arneb softly. "'No good will come of this.' "'Janice, you are a two-faced little snot!' Lindy shouted. "'You've weaseled your way into power by undermining the very spirit of Mattress, and now you're using needle-necks gossip and half-truths to twist gullible people into letting you run their lives. Make them dress alike, and they'll start to think alike. Make them afraid, and they'll turn against Sarah. That's what you always wanted. You've envied her for years, and now you—' Sarah's hand on her shoulder stilled Lindy as nothing else could have done her face bright with anger. She stood with doubled fists, quivering with rage. Sarah pulled Lindy back and stood between her and Janice. "'You gotta love Lindy's spirits,' said Cam, "'but that ain't the way to win this particular fight.' He had pushed through the crowd to stand beside Astrea and Arneb. He held a large wicker basket in one hand and a carving knife in the other. "'Don't wave that around,' muttered Arneb. "'The little one has a knife!' Janice screamed. As screams came from all sides of the hall, Sarah turned to face Lindy, Estrella, Arneb, and Cam. Waving both hands like someone shooing geese, she pushed them backwards out the door and slammed it in their surprised faces. They heard a heavy crossbar thud into place. "'Hurry,' said Arneb. "'There are more men than us in there, and she can't hold them for long.' "'I have to,' Lindy began. "'She mustn't.' "'Take her arm, Estrella,' said Arneb. "'Run!' With Lindy between them, Estrella and Arneb charged after Cam into the night. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit estreatrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.